And welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Benched with Bubba, episode 658. And we got a doozy on our hands tonight. We got two veterans in the NFPC game, especially in the OC game, but uh, they got experience elsewhere on not just that. I just say OC because, well, we have the 2023 overall champion and the 2022 overall champion. The 2022 overall champion was like top five for three straight years in the overall, amongst other things. You've heard their voices on this show. We had the 2023 champion on about a month after he won the whole thing. And the 2022 guy's been on quite a few times. He's joined me and we've had some fun. So let's kick it off here. Just saying the guy. We'll start off with the 2023 champion on this one. You can find him on the Twitter at Fru underscore Dorte. Drew Forte, how you doing, my friend? I'm great, Bubba. Thanks so much for having me back. Uh, looking forward to chatting all things online championship. Yep, had to do it after I had you on in, I think it was October, maybe early November. Uh, people loved it, so we had, to, we had to get you back on. And then I wanted to get you back on with a, 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 a kind of partner in crime on this one. I, I When I uh, learned the OC streets, the guilds smoked me in that street. And that was the one where he won the whole damn thing. And I've uh, watched it just, we were joking before the show, all the draft boards, all the, the interactions. He does it in the main, he does it in other formats, but you can find him on Twitter at the underscore guilds. Guilds, how we doing, my friend? Doing well, Bubba. Thank you, as always. Yep. Looking forward to tonight, boys. Before we get kind of into the uh, kind of recent news and how it might affect, say, an OC or how we're looking at things, and then we'll talk kind of more strategy, especially like you know, the early, you know, 10-ish rounds with some later round discussions here. Let's get our thoughts on some of these moves here because Cody Bellinger signed with the Cubs. I think a lot of us kind of expected that to be the landing spot, especially as time went on. It seemed to be the only logical step for uh, for Bellinger here. So when we're looking at Bellinger, obviously we know who Cody is. We think we do. Uh, his ADP is around 60 over the last uh, week of OCs. But more so, I guess, what are your thoughts on how this affects some of the other players we might have been drafting before this sign? So, Guilds, I'll start with you on this one. What's your thoughts on Bellinger going to the Cubs and kind of what the ramifications might be? Yeah, I, I like that landing spot a lot. Um, you know, it's comfortable there. He just played there. Um, doesn't have to get used to a new surrounding. You know, I had his best year, you know, in the last three years after those two uh, miserable seasons. So, I mean, it's a, com- a comfortable spot for him, and, um, you know, he's playing uh, basically for a contract for the first two years, right? He, he has a two opt-outs after year one and two. Um, so you're getting him on, essentially on another contract year in, in a spot that he likes. Uh, pretty sneaky lineup. I like that Cubs lineup a lot. So, um, yeah, I like uh, Belly, especially, uh, you know, where he was going. You know, he was going probably, what, in the – in the late sixties or so early sixties in draft. So uh, I think he's going to move up definitely maybe around uh, now that he's landed there. Well, let's say this. Uh, I, I mentioned his, his ADP over the last week. It's 14 drafts is at 60. He's gone as high as 38 though. That's probably okay. since the signing. So Drew, what are your thoughts on him going into Chicago? It was like 38 too rich for this situation. I've always had a tough time drafting Bellinger. Like I have like PTSD over past years, but I think we can all admit last year was pretty darn good. Yeah, last year was great for him. New environment. Was I able to capitalize on that? Had a great year. Obviously a bit surprising. He he stayed on the free agent market as long as he did. Uh, I do have a, you know some concerns. I'm probably a little bit more pessimistic than Andrew on, on Bellinger. Uh, 
know, obviously there's been a lot about the barrels and, and the hard contact, and there's been a lot of great analysis on that. Um, I was actually pretty interested is it hasn't really accumulated a lot of plate appearances last few years. Last year was this three-year high, which is 556. And Ed DiCaria, uh, baseball forecaster, has that great playing time chart. And he was just 17th amongst first basemen in uh, uh, plate appearance per active week. So that was a lot lower than I thought. So it just seems like he, he can't put together a monster volume uh, playing time season. So for that reason, I'm a little bit lower on Bellinger for a lot of reasons. And you know, if someone wants to push him up for 38, good on them, but it, it probably won't be me. Let me ask you this, Drew, um, and then I'll ask Gilds your opinion on this. We hear the, the plate appearance conversation a lot, but like, you know, the robot and Steve Weimer and others that you want to plate appearances, plate appearances, plate appearances. Is that like the major deterrent on Bellinger or you can just use it on other players in general? Do you focus on guys that are racking up play appearances more so than maybe the skill set? Um, I, I mean, it's it's definitely a big consideration. I, I was researching Bellinger for for this podcast, and that's what you know brought me down that that plate appearance rabbit hole. I wouldn't have thought. I would have thought he was a, a playing time monster last year, and he racked up all these appearances. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I think it definitely means something. You want guys who are in there as often as possible. You. You know the the plate appearances matter. The volume matters. Um, Andrew can attest about maximizing PT four game weeks Monday through Thursday. So you want guys who are in there, uh, and so it, it definitely plays a, a a role to me. What about you, Gilds? Because I know you like to. Uh, I'm not going to completely speak for you, but you will take a little more chances in drafts than other people maybe will, and that might you know be you're taking a chance on them getting more plate appearances, or you don't really care as much about plate appearances. You want that just like skill set, like I was talking about. How how do you kind of approach the plate appearance thing when you're doing your drafts? Yeah, sorry, my dog is going crazy. Um, yeah, I, I don't get. Too uh, wrapped up. I mean, in plate appearances, especially for you know these these early round guys. I mean, if he's going to give me speed, you know, and power, right? I mean, I like the price he was going at before. Now, I mean, if he's moving up to like you said, thirties, forties, even, you know, that's not a target of mine. But um, where he was going about three days ago, I liked him a lot more. Let's put it that way. But yeah, um, yeah I mean, it's a concern. Uh, but I, I do like the, that contract. I like that. The idea that he's playing, still playing for the big money, and uh, that means something for some of these guys. So, uh, if he falls to me in the right spot, you know, you know, in the right draft, I'll definitely uh, take a swing there. But again, he's not, it's not someone I'm overly targeting. Yeah. And the contract's a good point you mentioned because it's a three year deal, but it's an opt out after every season. So, if he has a good year, he can go try to test the waters again and see where things go. All right, I'm gonna start with you on this one, Gilds, because it's kind of your thing, the New York Mets. Um, Kota Singa, who I was, I have a good amount of shares of before things went downhill here. Um, obviously has the injury, got the PRP shot, going to be shut down for three weeks to be reevaluated. A lot of things can still go right. Things can still go wrong. It's the risk reward we're looking at here. He's gone as low as 359 now in OCs yeah. over the last week. What are we doing with Singa? Cause I'm just scared to even click that draft button right now. Yeah, you can uh you can't draft him that early. I mean, my last OC, this was post the news. I mean, he went somewhere like eighth or ninth round still. I'm like, you can't take him there. Um, you know, it's a guy I think it's uh good news that we got that he could be thrown in, in a few weeks. But still, if you ask me right now if he's back June first, I would sign for that right now. 
So you're looking at two months out, best case scenario. You know, if that's a guy, if he falls in the 250 range and you don't really like another pitcher out there and you feel pretty good about your staff early on, you might take a gamble on him there. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, this is the shoulder and any pitcher. That's the worst, you know, worst news yeah. you could get. So Drafting a guy already hurt is always a sketchy situation. But yeah. when like, we're talking 360 and a 12, that's like your last pick. Yeah. So it could get yeah. – uh, that, yeah, you take a little it. I wouldn't let him get that far in a draft, but yeah, anywhere two fifty to three hundred. Like I said, if there's, you know, if there's a pitcher, I'm not really loving in that spot, and you know, I would take a swing. What about you, Drew? How are you feeling about this Kodai Singa thing? Uh, pretty similar to Andrew. Uh, I like. I feel like I like to preach about learning from mistakes from previous years. Mm-hmm. Last year. I drafted Carlos Rodon after it came out. He was hurt. I got a discount on him. I was like, great. Fell on to like maybe like 10th round. I was like, awesome discount on him. He'll be back in a couple months. And like, yeah, obviously we know how that turned out. So I'm with Gilds and not willing to draft him unless he falls way down where if the news gets worse, I can cut him in the first week of Fab and, and not really have second second thoughts about it easy easy cut is always a nice thing to have because you guys have both preached it on this show and other shows that you know some of those late picks are all about those guys that you have no problem cutting if things go south so take those chances and sing as a guy because what if you draft say you draft this week and and you go get him at pick 340 or something and then in three weeks he starts throwing again like guild says they're saying okay june 1st we're back and you know things are good it's a big if of course that's the optimistic side of it but that can be tremendous I mean, they're, 340, so. they're talking even, you know, sooner uh, in this area, you know, best case scenario is something like mid May, even early May. I'm like, you know, I don't know. I don't know if I buy that. Yeah. But uh, you know what? Everyone has a price. I always say that, Bubba. Yes. And um, I never cross anyone off my draft boards. That's for sure. Yeah. It's like the Kyle Bradish thing is, you know, when the news first came out, people were like, oh, the season's over. Now he's already like throwing long toss and he started to ramp up his, like at first, I'm on. What if it's just like the Zach Wheeler thing? Now it seems worse than the Zach Wheeler thing. But remember when Wheeler had the shoulder yep. deal, missed a couple starts. He was back by like week two or three. Things looked yep. great after that. That's obviously the perfect storm. But uh, I think uh, he that, missed that, two starts. Yeah, he he was dropping quite a bit, and he I think he only missed two starts, and he was vintage Wheeler the rest of the year. So yeah, it's the perfect storm. But uh, things we can think about for those upside plays. Hey, Drew, uh, Tim Anderson signs with the Marlins. Usually that doesn't ring the bell of uh, let's go run and draft Tim Anderson, but he is going to play pretty much every day at shortstop. That's one thing we got to kind of look at. At least he should play pretty much every day at shortstop for the Marlins. His ADP is well past three. It's like 315 right now. So he's an in-game middle infielder guy. Take a gamble on. Maybe he finds, finds life again. Any interest in a guy like uh, Tim Anderson? Yeah, so when I, when I saw this news, I – I went on the Kings website, MLB Playing Time, had a, took a look of where King Curland had Tim Anderson slotted in the lineup, and he has him at the top of the lineup. So I think uh, that's always somebody to consider, especially late in drafts. I think last time I looked, he's going in the 300s. Not sure if it's risen at all, but considering of how poor of a season he had last year, I can't imagine his draft price inflating that much. Um, I, I think it's at a part of the draft. We know what Tim Anderson has been. He's been a, a high round pick just a few years ago. There's obviously the potential he gets back there. So in the 300s, it's, it's worth a gamble. And it's just a guy, if he's not producing and the power is not back at all, it's a, it's a guy you got to move on quickly from because he's not worth holding on uh, just because he's playing. 
Yeah, we we saw how bad it was last year. I got him for a buck in an auction last night as my shortstop at the end game, so I was pumped on that just to give it a shot. Uh, Gilds, what are your thoughts on Tim Anderson? Is he going to see him, you know, in the NL East and all? Yeah, I mean, like Drew was saying, I mean, a late round flyer. I'm looking at it. He's got seven home runs over his last 875 plate appearances. Is that bad? Seven home runs. I mean, and now he's playing in Marlins Park, right? So, mm-hmm. yep. I mean, what are you hoping for? Like a decent batting average, you know, eight to 10 homers, maybe. Um, even his steals were down. Again, he missed a lot of time, but um, yeah. I mean, he's age 31 season now, too. I mean, I think we've seen the best of Tim Anderson. Um, but yeah, as a middle infielder late, you missed out on, on the, on the guy you were targeting. Sure. But, uh, it's not a guy I'm going after. Yeah. Yeah. I think sure. you're, I think you're banking on obviously a change from the white Sox, maybe just organizational change and maybe the Marlins can unlock something. Obviously the white Sox just, there's been a lot of turmoil in that organization the last few years. So I think he was playing through injury also. So I, I think you're kind of banking on those things to see, uh, a production but like i said i you know it's not a guy would wait long to see if he makes improvements if he's come out of the gate slow 100 on that one uh manny margot probably doesn't move the needle in a 12 very much we'll just kind of go with that but he's gonna platoon in the outfield in minnesota we've seen a little bit of power a little bit of speed from manny in the past and i guess more so the question is to kind of like see where things shake out looks like he'll be platooning with um maybe matt walner in that situation in minnesota so guilds what are your thoughts is this manny margot thing just kind of a, a moot point more of a streaming thing or is this whole walner margot platoon something of interest yeah i'm never a manny margot guy you know he's always somebody you pick up in these 12s off the wire you ride him for a week or two and then he you know he turns into manny margot again and He's not playing as much, you know, it's just it's more of a DC player, I guess. But I mean, he's not a guy that you should be drafted, at least in the 12s. Yep. I'm with you. Any thoughts on that, Drew? Or do you want to talk about another streaming option here in Enrique Hernandez, who just gives a team with so many options, even more options now? Uh, yeah, the, I'll just say about Margot, I just obviously watch how that impacts their left-handed bats. The quotes I I read about from their front office is exactly that is they want to spell their left-handed outfielders uh, against left-handed pitching. So I would just be how that impacts some of the other guys in the, the twins outfield playing time yeah. in terms of Enrique Hernandez. Uh, obviously they, they just think he's a, a better version of Manny Marco, yeah. you know, reading the quotes, they just clubhouse, the players love him. Everybody loves him. So it's basically a Manny Marco replacement. Um, so a quote, Dave Roberts said that, so of course, he's going to play against left-handed pitching, filling in at center field shortstop in third, and that's where Outman, Lux, and Muncy are. They're left-handed. So mm-hmm. just see him moving around the diamond, spelling those guys against the left-hander. And obviously, if you're drafting Outman, Lux, or Muncy, you have to know that they're going to yeah. be sitting against lefties at some point. Um, and that's going to be for Enrique Hernandez. But he doesn't move the needle in 12-teamer. You know, maybe if they're playing a, a string of lefties, you, you pick them up, but that's all he is. I'll flip it to you, Guilds, on that regards. Does that kind of – maybe you weren't on these guys to begin with, but your Muncie's, your Outman's, your Lux, does this kind of push you off of them per se, or does it lower their price for you? Yeah, no, I think that's – yeah, that's more of the angle here. And, like, to uh, uh, the Matt Walner angle, yeah, I was pretty high on him. But if they're going to be platooning, platooning him, um, 
that definitely takes him out of the mix, at least in 12s. Um, uh, in like the main events and DCs, I could see him, you know, providing some value there. But uh, yeah, I, I don't like that for, for those, you know, uh, complimentary pieces. All right, let's talk ADP thoughts. Let's talk just general OC thoughts. We're going to bounce around because that's what my brain does when we start talking with you guys because there's so much good stuff that comes out of you all. Um, so we'll kind of start at the top. And as you see, we work through it kind of just gets different throughout the draft here. But one thing that's that's fun to compare 12s to 15s is starting pitching like in 12s. And I know I've seen at least in the guild's boards early on, uh, I, I kind of have his thought like I could go four hit, hitters pretty easily and get some pitchers I'm like totally cool rocking with. And when you look at ADP right now, Strider's the only guy going in the first round over the last week or so. Like he's the only pitcher. And I think we all know who Spencer Strider is. There's argument. You're not going to really tell anybody, no, you're dumb for taking him in the first round. But you're not seeing a bunch of other guys up there like we'll see in 15's come main event season and whatnot. So I'll start with you on this one, Guilds. What's your thoughts? Like, are you are you cool with Strider going first and all these other guys waiting? Do you think more guys need to come into the first? How do you kind of see that playing out? Yeah, it's funny you bring up Strider because my last OC. So I kds the four pick, like very late, maybe like third to last, because I think, you know, there's a clear top three in my eyes, but I, I view all those hitters four to 12. Like you can make a case for any of them, I think. Uh, and Corbin Carroll does scare me a little bit with that shoulder. Um, so I ended up getting four, of course, because that was one of the ones I didn't want. Um, and I was just thinking about it. I'm like, I don't have any Strider yet. I'm like, if I'm going to take him, you know, I don't care if this is the – the men pick on him. I think maybe it was, or uh, three was I, actually, I think it was four in OCs. Um, but I decided to go with Strider and just build a team from there. And uh, I'm pretty happy how it turned out, but uh, yeah, it, it looks like Strider's the only first round pitcher. Uh, then you get that, the Cole Burns Wheeler sometimes in round two. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's definitely a little more spread out than normal this year. What about you, Drew? Are you, are you kind of on the same page and, do you foresee a, a world where the yeah. spread out pitching is much more adventurous for you? Yeah, I, I think it makes sense, especially in early season. I, uh, again, it, it's it's what you're comfortable with. If, if you really like Garrett Cole, then you shouldn't be afraid to uh, to push him up if you're you're drafting the back half of the the first round. Uh, again, I, you like to map it out. So I, if you map out, if you're picking in that whatever the nine to 12 range map out your next few picks and, and see what bats or pitchers are available to you. And you can map out with Garrett Cole there. You can map out with one of the hitters and, and see how your build looks and, and you go from there in terms of pushing up. And I, I'll say also, I think obviously we know in the main event starting pitching gets pushed up uh, and those drafts happen in mid to late March. And in my experience is not every OC, but in some OCs that if you draft later in March, you'll see start of the same push up happen. Um, so I, I do think you'll start to see some of those starting pitchers get pushed up, especially if we start to see more starting pitcher injuries. Uh, we've obviously had a couple Bradish and Senga. So if we kind of have more, especially in that SP one range, you know, one or two of these guys go down and all of a sudden the SP uh, one group shrinks even more that people feel comfortable with. You're going to see people push them up because they're going to be comfortable with less options. Yeah, that makes sense. And like looking at the boards and looking at different ADPs, you see a lot of uh, that round four, five ish area. It's like a yellow, that's your yellow brick road, quote unquote. A ton of pitching goes off there. So 
like back to what I said earlier, Gil, just you've done, you said what, seven OCs already? Mm-hmm. Um, are you finding it like comfortable at least early on here to go hitter heavy and take pitchers and things are, are sitting pretty good with you? Yeah, I think so. I think the way these OCs are, are, are rolling here is if you're picking in the top half of the draft, right, one through six, you can easily go bat, bat, and then have an ace sitting there at the three, six pick for you. The issue is when you're picking at the end of the first round, which people like a lot, you get those Freeman, Judge, Soto, uh, Bryce, you know, pairing, which is great. But when it gets to that three, four turn, you know, you're looking at, you know, pretty much a tear, tear drop in my eyes. You know, you're looking at Pablo Lopez, uh, Glass now, Gallon, which are fine pitchers, but, you know, they're on that second level tier to me. So, um, I think if you want to get, be guaranteed that ace, at least in these 12s, you want to be somewhere, you know, six, seven and up. Um, and you can really build a team a number of ways, you know, you go pitcher early, uh, you know, uh, bat, bat, ace. Um, and then also the, the, the bonus there is the, the closers, the top tier closers are falling right into that mid to end of the fourth. So not only are you getting, you know, those premier bats early, you get the ace in the third. And then you're getting the premier uh, top end closer uh, in the middle to late four. So it was really set up, I think, this year for the top of the draft, more so than, than the years past. Yeah, I know. I think it might have been you even on one of your first OCs. Like when you had one of the top, you know, three or four picks, you 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 showed the ability to get like a stud bat, stud bat, Corbin Burns. Like you had these things and it, it lines out pretty nice, as you're saying. Um, are you one that's at least in the OCs where there's the overall component to things, you want to get one of the quote-unquote elite closers to go with one of your elite SPs? I mean, that's – I'm not pushing that this year, but uh, I've definitely done that uh, a bunch so far. I just really like the price. I'm really high on on Diaz this year. Um, I just think, you know, in the past we were paying like second-round prices. We're not getting these guys into the fourth, into the fifth round. And not much has changed, right? So – um, I'm just trying to take advantage of that price of those elite top end closers. Um, and I'm happy to even take, you know, the end of that range, right. For my first closer, uh, I definitely don't want to leave these OCs without getting at least one of these closers in the top, you know, five, six rounds. Um, but yeah, that's, I think it's just a way of fall. I've had a lot of picks in, in the top end of the draft. So like I said, and you were just saying before you get one of those speed guys at the top of the draft. And that's why I have so much damn Alonzo. Is because he just matches. He's a perfect pairing for any of those speed guys, and nobody wants him in the you know top or middle of the second. So I'm like, all right, I'll take him with Julio with Acuna. I get the ace right on, on the wrap in the third, and my whole draft is set up and ready to go. So uh, it's just set up really nicely at the, at the top of the draft. Drew, when you're looking at the closer pool this year, yeah. since we're talking about that now, like in years past, I was always thinking, okay, you got this handful of elite guys, and there's going to be so much turnover after that, so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. It's been talked about many times. Like, we didn't see turnover really last year, not much, yeah. like only a few. Obviously, it could be a one year sample, it could be a thing that's going to start happening. Who knows? How does mm-hmm. that kind of get your mind going when you're prepping now to get ready to start doing your drafts, looking at the closer yeah. position? Yeah, that's a good point. And it's obviously something I've paid attention to. I, I, like listening and reading people who are much smarter than I am talk about talk about these matters. And from what I've gathered from from those people is that uh, 
this was a real outlier for closer stability. And obviously in years past, we've seen so much closer turnover. And last year, basically there was, there was none. And to try to not read into that, that there are these, so many of these safe closers. So I'm, I'm pretty picky when it, when it comes to, when it comes to closers, I, and also when you kind of define early closer, I'm not sure about like how you define it. I'm not sure how Andrew defines it. Um, you know, in those early rounds, those, you know, four or five, four or five rounds, maybe even the six, depending, uh, you know, I'm probably looking at other positions. Uh, I just, you know, I, I think there's other avenues that I would prioritize, whether it's starting pitching or, or hitters there. And, you know, saves are so fickle and, you know, who's going to lead the league in saves or who's going to come out of nowhere to, you know, um, you know, to, you know, be a saves leader. Like no one saw Alexis Diaz having 37 saves last year. So, um, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm okay waiting and, and trying to identify maybe a guy who can make the jump off. Um, but I, I'm with, I'm with Andrew. Like, you need some, someone who you feel sure about in the role. Um, you know, ideally two guys you feel comfortable in the role with. Uh, because obviously saves is an important category and you can't compete in the overall without having some saves. Um, and, and the list of guys that have that locked down role, right? It's yeah. smaller than ever, right? Mm-hmm. You know, even the guys going in those middle rounds, Clay Holmes, Munoz, um, you, you could just see, uh, I don't know, you could just see some committee type situations where they, they'll use them in the seventh or the eighth, you know, and you're not getting every one of those those closing chances, whereas a guy like Edwin Diaz and Hader, you would think, are getting every one of those ninth inning shots. So it's kind of like Bloomfield and I when we did our reliever re- recap. It was like the top eight. We're like, okay, we want one of those. Like you kind of want one of that, yeah. and then you could go down from like twelve through twenty, and that's where you got like your Munoz, your Clay Holmes. Like you could still see an avenue to twenty to twenty-five saves, but there's still the window of like you said, problem. But if you can at least pair one of them as your RP2, per se, you're okay. It just drops off horrendously after that to just – like Alvarado's a great reliever, but there's like seven guys in that bullpen that you wouldn't be shocked that they come and do – like there's just a bunch of that going on that makes it kind of messy. So that's why it's just a fun question because we saw so much stability last year where some people might get comfortable with it, and it might not be the approach to take still, <laughs> like that whole comfortable nature of it. Well, and it, what – Yeah. Well, Sorry, oh, sorry, Coach Help. No. Uh, the one thing I, I say just about last year, and obviously every year is different, and I'll never forget this. So last year in the fourth round, the pick before mine was Emmanuel Class A, and my pick was Matt Olson. Mm-hmm. And obviously, closers have been pushed down a little bit. They're not going as high as they were last year. But just think about who who you'd rather have end up. Emmanuel Class A had forty four saves. I think led the league in saves. Yep. Matt also was a first, and that's a first round pick. So, just like you know, always weigh the opportunity cost yep. of every pick and what you're giving up. And I think in twelve, I've, I've talked about this a lot with you, Bubba. Even is yep. when you're playing in these overalls, right? I think the the really money move is to hit on one, on one of those closers late. Now it's easier said than done. But if you're willing to to take that one early closer, right, and build a huge offense, build a huge starting pitching staff, and then take a bunch of those spec guys, because one of those, if not not one, more, you know, a few of those guys are going to hit going in that 12 to 20 range. We just don't know who yet, right? So 
Um, if you could, you know, get the right guys and land on one of them, I know, uh, and like I said too, it's easier to fab closers in the 12s uh, than the 15. So that's another variable, uh, especially with the closers. Yep, 100% agree with you. And that's what makes it fun, kind of picking and choosing. It goes back to like a, a comment that uh, Drew made earlier is mapping out your draft is not a bad idea. At least just kind of get an idea. Like if you have this pick, these are the yeah. scenarios you can take. And that gives you those chances for rounds like 12 through 20 to kind of pick and choose through what's going on. We're going to talk steals now, but we're going to just preface it first with, if you look at the second round per se, picks 13 through 24 these days, um, you don't have a ton of steals. Like Shohei's there. He'll, he should run. We'll see. J-Ram will run some. Uh, also, usually around 20-ish steals, which is awesome. Albies is backed off a bit. 15 to 20 steals is not bad. You got Lindor all the way at the end of the round, which we saw him go 30-30 last year. But as a whole, compared to round one, where it's just loaded, with stolen bases, that's kind of the perks to taking those early bats. It kind of dries up a bit. It, you get some great hitters, but more like four and a half category guys, and then some of those pitchers you talked about. So to you, Drew, and I guess it's a kind of a, a, a grouping here. There's not a ton of steals in round two compared to round one. We also saw the steals environment go crazy last year. So how are you attacking that in your mind going into draft season? Yeah, in terms of round two, I wouldn't worry too much about, uh, you, you know, it, it, getting getting steals in round two, especially like Andrew said, if you if yeah, we you know Gilds doesn't, he gets the Lonzo, so we got that under control. <laughs> yeah, but it, but if, so if you have a top five or six pick, you know, if you get Acuna, you don't need to draft steals for. It's like a, a, a more than a third of the steals you need for your entire team potentially, um, but any of those guys, Bobby Witt, Julio Carroll, like they're already a good stolen base source so i wouldn't i wouldn't worry as much about it in the second round if you get a guy who, who doesn't steal because you already got a good base and in the back half of the draft and I, I think this is what andrew's talking about you 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 have two power guys you got to map it you have to map out where you're going to get your steals from later because those power guys are they're good players they're safe they return value uh obviously jose ramirez is in there he does steal bases but some of the other guys around there like don't steal a lot. So you just have to map it out and you have to, uh, you know, I wouldn't avoid those guys just because they don't steal bases because yeah. you can get stolen bases later in the draft. You just have to really map out where you're going to attack the stolen base category from. Yeah. I'm not avoiding. I have a lot of Harper, a lot of Alonzo. I'm a fan of all of it. Jordan's there. If he ever stays healthy, we all know that scenario. That's a beautiful thing. So Gilds, you're, you're going the Alonzo route pretty much. We know that we've seen that you've kind of got, you opened my eyes to that like a year or so ago, just the beauty of that scenario and it also opened my eyes because power it's a category i think we just a lot of people take for granted per se but then every season as we get late in the fantasy baseball season it's just like i thought i drafted enough power like what's going on here like you not even close to enough power so kind of you can group this together if you want guilds where it's like the steals environment where you could probably find steals later but then all the power that you you do need where an alonzo or those guys come in handy how are you kind of attacking after that first round pick i guess yeah, I think it's interesting. Um, people used to say you get power late and everything. And, you know, there are some guys that are, you know, an easy 25, 30 homers. Um, but that does come with, you know, the 220 average and probably no speed to boot. Um, I just like Alonzo. I think, you know, people are looking at that 217 average from last year where he was unlucky. He got the injury. Like there's so many reasons why, you know, that, that batting average sat there. 
I mean, he's a guy that's, you know, he easily has 50 homer potential, right? You could probably lock him in for 40. He's going to get you to 100 RBIs and 90 runs. He'll even steal four or five bags. But I think he's he's more of the 260, you know, 270 hitter that we saw previously. You know, last year to me is an outlier. Uh, so I'm just viewing that as a discount, right, where he could easily outperform Olsen, who's going, you know, a good 10, 12 picks ahead of him. Uh, so yeah, I just like that pairing. Uh, like I said earlier with the, with the early speed Alonzo, he plays every day. Like the guy is just a machine. So, uh, I think it's a very safe pick and obviously with a massive ceiling and it just sets you up for your draft, you know, moving forward, you know, you're, you got good power, you got good speed. That's what I like to do early in drafts. And I think, uh, it just sets you up pretty easily to, to move how you want. Uh, and maybe zig when others are zagging throughout. So hundred percent, um, Drew will kind of waver off of that and, and go with uh, i'm gonna jump to a different question on the outline we'll, we'll backtrack but with you know the steals comments the power comments so on and so forth are there, are there any stats you really want to bang hard early in your draft just knowing things change as the draft goes on or is it kind of more you, like you said you're going to map it out you're going to flow you know what you like later some targets here and there but are there any like certain ca- like stats you're looking to make sure you have more of a I guess, upper edge on early. So as the draft goes, if things fall the wrong way, you're still sitting pretty. Stats early. Um, I, I like to be balanced. Uh, I think when you're balanced, you know, Phil Dussault, you know, the could do, keep all draft options open. You want, you want to stay balanced so that you can take the value as it comes to you in, in the draft and that you don't feel forced. I have to take this position. Oh, I have to take... Uh, you know, steals here or uh, that you can kind of let the draft dictate where you want to go and, you know, decide that you have multiple options uh, to take. So, so I think it's about balance. Um, and, and again, it comes with the mapping. It, it, it kind of, it, it all depends also like where you're drafting, right? True. Your KDS will kind of depend like, okay, maybe I've mapped it out. There's stolen bases here later. So I can push up power a bit earlier or, you know, like Gil says, it's like, oh, I'm targeting an early closer. Um, so, I, you know, I'll take one, you know, starting pitcher later or, hey, I don't have to worry about a closer in round 10. And that's where, you know, some decent batting average goes. So that's where I'm going to target. So not to you know, avoid avoid the question, but it, it really kind of depends on on where you're drafting because the, the first round is such a dichotomy between those guys who steal a lot of bases and the guys who kind of don't and that kind of just will dictate you know how you approach those those later rounds but again you want the balance where you're not falling behind in any of the categories really Uh, because you need a balanced team to to compete in the overall and to compete in your just your league alone you need a balanced team to win what what are you seeing so far guilds in your seven drafts is there like a certain stat that you maybe need to attack a little more early just because it's not as prevalent later on, or are you just comfortable knowing the pool that you can kind of navigate all over? Yeah, I think, you know, I track my, my category strategy draft. So I try to, you know, keep pace and see where I'm deficient throughout the actual draft. Um, but yeah, I'm just trying to balance it. You know, as we move along, I always say it's like a, it's like a puzzle, but like in real time. Right. And it's, yeah, me, the, the better, the best players are the ones who put that puzzle pieces together in in real time with that sixty seconds on the shot clock. So yep. um, that's really it. Um, I don't think there's a method to my madness, really. I mean, maybe mm-hmm. a little bit, but um, 
I'm just trying to build these teams cohesively and the best uh, construction wise that I can. Um, and just at the end of the day, I want that puzzle to be complete. You know what I mean? When I see round 30, that, that final buzzer, I'm looking at a beautiful jigsaw puzzle right in front of me. So yeah, 40 chess is a draft board. That's, that's what we're doing out there trying to, to piece it all together. And a part of that, you know, putting that puzzle together and everything you guys mentioned KDS a few times and guilds, we'll go to you first on this because you've done a few drafts already. And then I'll get Drew's thoughts on what he's thinking about. But you mentioned like uh, fourth, like the fourth pick was one of your last choices because you didn't want to be there and and whatnot. Where are you finding kind of your happy place so far? Like twelves, there's a lot more flexibility than a fifteen, where you kind of a fifteen, you already know like, hey, I need these three picks early type thing. Where a twelve, obviously there's wiggle room. But what are you finding so far? You like uh, KDS wise? Uh, I like Acuna at one. Um, <laughs> See, you I like didn't even put him on the outline. I'm like, we're not going to spend 20 minutes on Acuna. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's funny. The first, no I did, the first three OCs I did, I got Ronald twice out of the first three. And then I got Julio twice. So first four OCs, I had two of each. So, uh, I mean, the easy answer is the top three, right? Just like I was saying before, the top of the draft is just, I think, a money spot. But when you're seeing the guys at the end of the first round, right? Aaron Judge, Otani. Uh, Bryce Freeman. I mean, these guys are monsters too. It's more about, you know, obviously taking Acuna out of things. It's more about the third, fourth, and fifth round. That's where I think, you know, it's really set up in, in the top of the draft. Um, but yeah, I mean, you could win from any spot. I mean, I drafted from the 12 um, with uh, Rob, I think it was two OCs ago. I had Freeman judge fall to me. And then I got uh, Michael Harris. And then in, in the, at the turn, uh, CJ Abrams. Jesus. So, I mean, you start a draft with those four bats. I mean, I'm like, screw pitching. I'll figure it out later. So, yeah. um, just take what the draft gives you. And I think, any, you know, from any spot in a draft, you really can build a monster. Just, you just got to take advantage. Yeah. Third round, Michael Harris is what dreams are made of right now. I got, every time I see him sitting there in a the third round, I'm like, good God, how do you not click That's that about- button? I was seeing, you know, four or five picks ahead of me. I'm like, see Harris. I'm like, they're not going to let this guy fall on me, right? And then <laughs> another pick goes by. Okay. Another pick goes I'm like, oh, my God. Um, so, yeah, that team looks pretty pretty awesome. And was, was that's pretty it. Sweet. Yeah. There's something there's something that Guild said, but we'll go to Drew here in a minute. But one thing that, that stuck out, I learned this kind of from you when you smoked me in my first ever OC, was kind of take what the draft gives you. Because I remember you had, I think, Alonzo already. And then Goldie fell and you took Goldie. You're like, I don't care if I'm, it's a first base corner out the gate. I don't care. Cause you know, there is the quote unquote, like you can't do that so early. Why would you lock right. up these positions conversation? But you're like, this dude's falling. Why am I passing? I'll figure it out later. And that's, that's something that's stuck out to me since that day. And I try, I try, I'm probably not still good at it. But I try to kind of at least keep that in mind when I'm drafting of, Hey, okay. Yeah. Like they're like, heck in a 15 recently, I took four hitters early. That's usually quote unquote a no, no. And I was like, these guys just keep falling. Like, I'm taking these four guys, and we're going to figure it out. So, yeah, um, I think yeah, when when it matters, and, and you see like a huge value fall like that, like that one year, you take advantage of that. And you know, I see people do that now, where they're taking like a Lindor, then an Ellie right after him. I'm like, to me, that doesn't make much sense because you're not really getting much of a, a discount yeah. on, on Ellie there. But uh, yeah, if I see uh, you know a, a position that I'm doubling up in, and I know it's a great value, and it's you know it's you know, screw team need at that point. I want to take the best players at those spots. I'm not letting those guys fall. So um, I don't care if it's two, two first basemen, you know, two second base, you name it. You know, if there's a huge value drop in, I'm going to take that player. 
I completely agree. Uh, Drew, so what do you think when you're looking as you're prepping here for your OC season? What are you thinking on your KDS? Yeah, uh, KDS, probably straight butter, uh, maybe a little bit tinkering early, uh, like around the, the four through six range, we'll see. But pretty much straight one through 12, um, I feel like it's an advantage with those top picks, you know, uh, just between the, the balance, the stolen bases, it opens you up the rest of the draft. Um, and, and I wanted to build on what what Andrew was talking about with the, the puzzle and the drafts and taking value is, you know, as much as I, I, I love to put together scenarios and, and map out, every draft is different. And I think that's, you know, what Andrew has been really successful at. I had success with it last year is when you get into your draft, as much as you study ADP and, and I love looking at ADP and how it's changing and where guys are going, every draft is different. And your draft could be the one where all the pitching gets pushed up and the hitters fall or all these rookies get pushed up or relievers, you know, no one's taking relievers or catchers. And it, the best players are the ones who can adapt on the fly and can take their game plan mm -hmm. and adapt it as the, you know, the draft unfolds and be like, you know, Andrew said, take advantage of the values that are falling, uh, understand, you know, maybe where you can wait on a position that the draft isn't prioritizing as much as you thought it would. So uh, it, it's good to be prepared. And I think, you know, coming in prepared and understanding your mapping helps you a lot, but you got to be able to adapt and adapt on the fly because that one minute clock moves quick. Moves very quick, very, very quick. So with you guys on that one, uh, just for fun, I wanted to throw him out here and Gil's actually mentioned his name earlier is, what are we doing with Ellie? Uh, Ellie's got an ADP of 25. Like he's right after Lindor. He's on that uh, two, three turn in 12s right now. He's gone as high as 19, which actually on the way the hype train was rolling at the end of the season, I'm like, this guy's going to somehow find the first round. This is going to be ridiculous. He hasn't really, which is, is good, I think. But I'll start with you on this one, Drew. Uh, what yeah. are you doing with Ellie? Because like I just, this is a flaw of mine. I'm just kind of like, I'd rather have Lindor. There's other guys. I guess I'm going to take these other guys around him that Ellie just doesn't make it on my squad. So what are you thinking? So I think I'm I'm mostly out, but I'm not as out as I, I thought I would be. Um, I think if you're doing a bunch of teams, if you have a bunch of teams, home leagues, NFBC, whatever, uh, it, it probably makes sense to, to take Ellie one time. Uh, just because the, the chance that he exceeds expectations. And, you know, we're talking about a guy who could be the number one overall pick next year if everything breaks right and he proves. So I, I think to to leave all of your drafts, if you're doing a ton, to leave them without him at all, uh, I, I think you're missing out on, on opportunities. Also, just a lot of fun to Let's watch. Let's say if you're doing three OCs, how many Ellie shares would you have? Just asking for a friend. Three OCs, personally. So I, I'm going to do five this year. So three, I would say one at most out of three um I, I i think two out of three where he's going in the the second third round you're opening yourself up for a lot of uh just downside potentially it just I, I like to diversify those early round picks um there's just i don't like to put my eggs all in one basket especially with ellie whose range of outcomes is as wide as anybody uh so that's how I am, I'm a little bit risk averse, but I will say what I more, you know, dove in and, you know, read some quotes. 
I'm less concerned about them sending him down to the minors. I think he really, really have to struggle for them to do that. I, I think at at worst, they're going to move him down the lineup, which obviously impacts plate appearances. I think maybe they'll try him there down against lefties. He struggled against lefties, but it's a guy who's also improved like at every stage and has done better against lefties. It, minor league split stats are very hard to find for some reason, but Rotowire was able to find them on Rotowire. So in 2022, and these are pretty small samples, I'll say, but um, 2022, he his OPS against the lefties was 871, uh, which was really great. And in 2023, this in the minors, his OPS was over 1,000, 1143. So obviously we're talking small samples, but it, he struggled a lot against lefties last year. But, you know, he, he's figured out, he figured out a way to overcome them in the minors. So if he can take that next step against lefties and get more consistent, the, the speed upside is out of control. He's got multi-positional eligibility. So you can see how things can go really well for him. And obviously there's, there's downside and there's risk. So you may never figure out lefties, maybe pitchers adjustment. Um, that's what baseball is. It's a game of adjustments. The best players are able to make adjustments, just like fantasy baseball. The best managers are able to make adjustments and figure out how to exploit the values and, you know, accumulate the best stats. So we'll see if with Ellie can, uh, can make the jump. I do have a, a bold take. Um, I have, I have a bold take and I got a preface for all the listeners that um, my podcast appearances, anytime I've had to do like player analysis or player like takes, I'm like, I'm like batting a zero. <laughs> my my record is <laughs> atrocious. So take that with a grain of salt. But I think I would take Ellie De La Cruz over Francisco Lindor. Oh, All right, Gil, was, that gives you the floor. I was, I was so, it's so funny you said it. I was just about to say, I don't know how anyone takes him over Francisco. I know that's right. I know your love for Lindor. And I like Lindor a lot too. It's like this is a good oh. transition. You guys do this for me. Go. Yeah, <laughs> I mean Lindor is probably like my favorite, which is fun. I don't have any any yet, which is funny to say this, but he's to me he's like my favorite second round pick. Uh, I don't have any because I always take Alonzo ahead of him. But um, I mean, I don't know why you would take. L- I mean, you're just kind of wish casting there, right? I mean. For what the extra 10 steals, 15? St- I know I mean, people think Ellie could steal upwards 50. Yeah, I guess if everything goes right, but Lindor, I mean, he plays 160 games every season. You know, he had 30 30 last year. He's going to hit you 260. He's going to knock in, you know, 100 runs probably, score 100 runs. I mean, he's just such a safe, easy pick there. <laughs> to me, I don't think that the upside of Ellie oversees or supersedes, sorry what you're getting with Frankie Lindor. And I think Frankie's going a little ahead of him right now, finally, but early on it was... More than one pick ahead of him right now. Okay. I mean, early on it was definitely uh, De La Cruz going ahead of Lindor. So, um, yeah, uh, to me, uh, I I think, you know, I think Ellie can hit those, that higher end of his outcomes for sure. He did strike out a ton though in the minors, right? I mean, what was he, like 28, 29% strikeout rate in the minors? And usually that, that, you know, that doesn't bode well in a big league. So um, I'm kind of on the train where I think, I don't think he's getting sent down, but I, you know, I could see something like where he does. He hits you 230, he hits you 35 homers, and he steals, you know, 30, 30 something bags. And, uh, you know, he's not going to kill you in that spot, but I don't, that batting average, I just can't envision where he's going to give you a nice, 
even neutral batting average. And that's really what scares me there. Yeah, and that's what makes Ellie so fun, though. You know you're getting that with, with Frankie, right? You're going to get that 260, 270 average for sure. Just lock that up um, where, you know, that's really what Ellie, we, we don't know. There's, let's just put it this way. On on the, that wonderful app we like to go on called Twitter, there's going to be a lot of victory laps in both directions, no yeah. matter what Ellie De La Cruz does this year, because it's, it's a strong thing. And I think at least we have the right approach. Like, okay, we have justifiable concerns. But there's also like a world where, okay, I'm the perfect world. Yeah, okay. Guys, you could be pretty dang good. But it's like, is this the year he does it? Like, I feel like he's like a year away type thing. Like, get more comfortable. I don't yeah. know. I think, uh, see, I'm like just in, I don't really have a strong take either side. I, I honestly think he's going to be good enough to stay up in the bigs all year, but not hit that crazy ceiling everybody wants. But he'll be still a very productive fantasy player, if that makes sense. Let's, so. let's have a fun one here. ADP aside, because they're going like a couple rounds apart, I think. I'll start with you on this one, Drew. Would you rather leave your draft with Ellie De La Cruz or Royce Lewis? Uh, Ellie De La Cruz. Guilds. 100%. I'm thinking Guilds by the facial reaction. I think I know the Guilds answer. (laughs) Cost, no cost associated. No cost. They're the same price just in in Uh, the season. Yeah, I would I would take Ellie then. Just because, yeah, I mean, the ceiling is outrageous. I mean, in that ballpark, you know, it's like – you don't have to squint much to see like just top two, three hitter. I just, I just like I just like that 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 option of no price difference because then at least it admits that hey, yeah, we believe Ellie's good because oh, people yeah. are all about Royce, but then the injury concerns thing get into the Royce conversation. So if Ellie was going like fourth round, end of the fourth, I'd have a lot more shares 100%. for sure. I w- I will say like my my stance is probably more so indicative of where I stand on Lindor more so than than Ellie. Um, uh, but I was just looking at projections. Uh, you know, the projections I use, I aggregate a few different sources. It's got Francisco Lindor for 254 batting average, which I think is pretty much what he hit last year, yeah. right? Uh, it's got Ellie DeCruz for 249. So, you know, that's... It's basically that's basically nothing. So obviously Lindor is a is a much safer is much safer. I'm not, not going to that argument from here is you know done it many many years. Um, I just think last year was kind of everything broke perfectly for him. Full year of health. He's stolen base. He stole 31 out of 35 pieces, which is which is crazy. So uh, I could see that coming back down to earth a bit. So I I could just see like just see things kind of regressing a little bit for Lindor, not saying he's going to be a bad player. I could just see it coming back down to earth a little bit. And, you know, if Ellie takes the next step and he improves really against lefties and becomes more consistent, uh, obviously the sky's the limit for him. But obviously I understand the risks. There's, yeah, <laughs> I said have. I would pick him at most one out of three OC teams. So it's not like I'm like all in on Ellie De La Cruz. No, it's I just, get it. I get it. It's fine. Yeah, I might have been a little generous with Lindor's batting average. So, yeah, I mean, yeah, he could be in the 250 range for sure. He was last year. But, I mean, he's got past years, 270, 280. He's got, so, got, he's got yeah. MLB pedigree. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, I could keep poking holes in both sides of this story, but I think we, we could probably move on from this one because it's it's a great – it'll be, again, fun end of the season to see where this rubber meets the road between Lindor. I'm, just, I'm on Lindor's side at the yeah. moment, but, yeah. I'm just surprised Lindor's price too, like, isn't 
top of the second round, right? You would think with all those bats going in at the end of the first with no speed, right, or very limited speed. To me, he's a perfect complement there too, but nobody seems to want him, and he falls to the end of the second, top of the third, and every draft. So, yep, I'm with you. Interesting. Philip Carl in the chat says, "All right, you got me in, Ellie." So, uh, Drew, you, you converted oh, someone right, over right. here. <laughs> here we go. I, I here don't even go. know. I'm probably, I'm not the, like the Ellie De La Cruz person. That's yeah. not, I'm not going to be the Ellie De La Cruz person. I just like uh, it's good food for thought. I don't know. No, it is. It's, it's a good conversation. It depends now. on your risk tolerance, and it depends yes. on uh, your risk tolerance, number of leagues, your pl- number of teams you're playing. And if I was playing in, if I was playing in one league only, and and you know, even if it was with an overall, like I, I would probably take Lindor if I had to take between both of them, just because it's the, the short time thing, and you know, Lindor won't won't ruin your season. I can't uh, wait to see an. Uh, I think I yeah. can't wait to see a Guild's draft get posted online with Ellie here in the next week. It's yeah, be great. I do. I, I need. I, I got FOMO with Ellie. I got to get at least yeah. one share in the OC. But I think for the main events, it'll be interesting, right? Where. Yep. You know, those buy-ins are, you know, what, five times in OC. So if you're only playing one, maybe two, whatever, are you going to gamble on Ellie uh, in the middle of the second round, the top of the second round? I mean, that's... Everyone features floor, floor, floor in, an OC, in, a, in a main event. So that guy gets a little rough in that regard. There's, there's going to be one guy in those 15 owners or, or gal that's going to absolutely take Ellie there. So yeah. it's going to happen. It's just, you know... It'll be interesting. Very interesting. Uh, the tough transition here from an electric conversation about Ellie on the door to catchers. So we're going to talk catchers here for just a second. But the, the reason I bring it up, not because people make fun of me for doing it, because that's what I do. But um, when it comes to catchers in, this year, it, to me, it's rather deep compared to years past. Like uh, if you wanted to get a kind of upper end catcher, you had to be aggressive with like a top five catcher almost in the past. And then get your second guy pretty quick. Otherwise, just turn into a platoon world. Where now you can kind of walk away with, you could have an argument. There's 15 ish guys. You could be like, okay, I, I could pick and, and choose through this mess. So, Guilds, we'll start with you here. Are you an early catcher guy? Are you a wait and see catcher guy? Uh, how do you, I guess, how, what's your main strategy? I know it'll differ from draft to draft. Yeah. So, this is my favorite year for catcher by oh, far. Beautiful. Um, beautiful. Like you said, it's so deep. That's why I have zero Adley. Uh, I will have zero Adley at that cost. Um, just the fact that you're getting these like these great, not great, oh, huge upside catchers in the 140, 150 range. I mean, I do like to grab, you know, one of those, uh, you know, top five guys. Because, again, after Adley, the price just drops, right? You have William Pierce, maybe another 20 picks later. But then, you know, it keeps falling another couple rounds. You get Yainer Diaz. I have a lot of Yainer Diaz. To me, if you're getting him in the ninth round, 10th round, um, you got Salvador Perez going in round 12, right? So it's like, how is anybody taking Adley Rushman in round four? You're giving me Sal Perez, you know, a hundred picks later. It's yeah, there's, there's, I, I like how deep it is. I like the value you get. Uh, I, having said that, I do like to get to walk out of a draft with two of those top 15 catchers. Mm-hmm. I don't like to wait too long. I want at least one of those middling, you know, top you know, five or six catchers, and then I'll grab one in that 10 to, to 15 range and, and be happy. So um, I think it's a nice year to build with catchers. Um, so, yeah, I'm a fan. Yeah, we're on the same page on that one. Uh, Drew, how are you kind of a, looking at the catcher pool these days? Well, I always like to uh, – what is that, Gil? So you get you get, a, you get a draft tips on there? Who's calling you? No, 
it's my my daughter. I told her I was doing a pod, so she wants to FaceTime me. Oh. But <laughs> oh. yeah. bring her on the air. No, just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Is she going to become a fancy baseball? Is she your protege? I told her I was doing a podcast. She thinks I'm going to be like on TV and all. And <laughs> well, she heard okay. me. Here's a funny one for you. So at night before my daughter goes to bed because she's only three and a half, so much younger than your daughter, we watch uh, simple songs on YouTube. And my channel is subscribed to my YouTube feed. And so one day, like the very first feed, it was me and Bloomfield. And she sees my face on the TV. And she's like, you're on TV. I'm like, yeah, don't get your hopes up, kitty. So, you know, you got to get some scholarships and stuff to get through college. But uh, yeah. so you technically could be on TV is what I'm trying to tell you. Well, I had a funny moment, actually, uh, not that long ago. I was on Sirius with, like, Dr. Roto in the morning. And, uh, you know, I knew it was coming. I played it for her in the car. And she's like, is that daddy on the radio? I'm like, yeah, it's, it's on Sirius right now. And she thinks I'm like a celebrity. And I tell her I, I am sort of a celebrity, just in a very small niche community. That's all. We're weird celebrities for sure. Weird celebrity. Yeah. <laughs> so, Drew, how, how are you looking at yeah. the catchers, though? Because it is an interesting year, like Guild said. Yeah. So I think the way I think of early catchers is maybe what, like those first 70, 80 picks or so, 60 picks in there in that range. Mm -hmm. um, I'm with Andrew, like Adley, uh, I'm out. It's just too early. There's other positions that I'm looking at where he gets drafted. I will say, I know this is NFBC online championship focused. I still play in some home leagues. Shout out the home leagues. Um, mm -hmm. You know, they're always great. If you play in a one-catcher league, head-to-head, -head, anything with OBP, I'm more likely to push up Adley because he's such an advantage. If you got a weekly limit on how many moves, Adley plays every day. He's an OBP monster. Uh, it may, you know, he's just so rock-solid that you know, in those one-catcher leagues, uh, it may be worth to actually push him up because it's an advantage there. But for the NFBC with two-catcher leagues, it's just there's other positions. Um, prioritizing where he goes or will prioritize when I – get into my ocs um i like william Contreras a lot also it's like he's rock solid he helped win me the online championship last year he was a great pick um and i feel like when i when i go through my scenarios or the couple of drafts i've done i, I feel like there's just always somebody else that i want to pick over him it, it's nothing against him he, he's great he's got no flaws it's just like when I map it out, it's just another position I'm going for. Um, so I'm with Andrew. I like to get some solid options. Again, kind of similar to closer, you know, get at least one, you know, solid guy that you feel about, feel good about. I will give the the argument for streaming a catcher uh, just last year, just to give people a different point of view. There's obviously no right or wrong way, but just to show, especially in the online championship, there's so many different ways to attack it and and to you know do well. So Last year, I had William Contreras as one of my catcher. My second catcher, I streamed, uh, and I, I didn't end up with anybody good the whole year. So, uh, 142 at bats from Christian Bethencourt, uh, 129 from Jan Gomes, 47 from Travis Darno, and then 20 or less from Camposano for me, Connor Wong, Omar Navarez, and Jose Trevino. Uh, those composite, what is that, like eight guys or so? So, I got. 14 home runs, 39 runs, 61 RBIs, uh, one stolen base things, Connor Wong. But the real kicker was that those guys accumulated a batting average of 272. That's me. tremendous for catcher. So obviously only 378 bats, but you know I didn't take on a, a sink of batting average by streaming my catcher too. So is that repeatable? Can I do that year in and year out? 
uh, I don't know. I'm trying to figure that out myself with how I, how I do my catcher strategy. But just for the listeners out there that, uh, you know, with some work and, and diligence, you can stream a catcher second position in the online championships uh, and, and not kill your batting average. So just some food for thought. Yep, that's something I've I've preached for a while because that's well, it's like Rianer Diaz last year, um, um, Betancourt. There's just so many of them. You can just go down a list of these guys that came in uh, in the second half or so last year that you could be very successful. And I don't, I think it'll still happen this year enough because of injuries and just platoon situations at catcher. But uh, it feels like we saw most of the young guys come up this past year. But there are a few more like Herrera and Fermin and some other dudes out there that you could uh, foresee coming up later in the season and having some fun at catcher. I'm just looking at the ADPs right now for the OC for catchers. It's just wild. You have the number six Sal Perez catcher going 129 picks into the draft. Wilson Contreras, number seven, 140 picks. Like you could literally wait until 10, 11 in your draft and get like a Wilson Contreras, you know, Cal Raleigh or something. It's just like, it's just such an easy build for catchers this year. So uh, that's why I'm never reaching too high on Adley. It's almost a forgotten position because of that, like you said, because, you know, just even over the last week per se, um, if you really want to, like you said, Wilson's at 140. So like anywhere from 140 to, I guess, Kaber Ruiz at 182. That's cut off. Yeah. Yeah. I'm like, look, I'm like, I could easily just go like, I found myself in a lot of drafts so far just double tapping at some point in between those rounds, just going boom, boom, and there's my two catchers, and I'm good. And I just walk away type thing. So you have to really try hard to be shut out on at yeah. least, you know, one of those top 15. Yeah. I mean, if you get shut out on one of those top 15 guys, I mean, that's on you. That, that's your own fault, but uh, it's hard to do. All right, let's talk starting pitchers here for a minute. And we've kind of hinted at it earlier. You know, Strider by himself early. Got a couple guys around two or three. We joked or said, you know, around four, five-ish, six. You see kind of this yellow brick road coming onto the draft board here. Uh, Guilds, we'll start with you since you've done a handful of drafts here. Are you finding it, and I think you kind of said this earlier, but this very populated starting pitching area, just to kind of pepper it there in the middle, do you have like a like a group you kind of prefer, or is it, there's so many similarities in that pitcher pool to pick from? So, are you finding that you want to maybe leave with two guys in that three round period to kind of solidify your team? Obviously, it'll depend on the draft, but just yeah. looking at the board per se is that is that a strategy maybe? Yeah, I mean, I like like I said earlier. I'm generally grabbing at least one ace and one of those top closers, right? So I at least have one of each through like five or six rounds. So I'm generally taking at least two more pitchers in round seven to 11-ish, right? I, you know, I like to get an, a strong number two, but after I get that strong two, I'm okay waiting, you know, a few rounds and, and grab some bats and solidify my offense a little bit. Um, I'm not rushing. I think once you once you get that nice ace as, as, as top of your staff and you could, you know, follow up with a, with a, a decent number two like a Lazaro or um, – uh, there's a number of guys, uh, Grayson, you know, someone like that, um, decent upside and should be a nice floor. Um, I, I like the, the pitchers, you know, in that 10 to 15 range too, a lot. So I'm happy 100%. building my staff depth in those rounds also. So that's kind of how I see it. As long as I get that ACE, but if I, if I miss that ACE early on, I'm definitely digging into the to those middle rounds a little more than I would. I like how you mentioned that later pocket too. There's a couple different SP pockets where you can kind of yeah. pound it, get some more bats, pound it, get some more. Like it's just a interesting flow. 
Um, in your early looks here, Drew, what are you seeing when you yeah. kind of look at the board and, and how you want to approach starting pitching? Yeah, uh, I like again. I I like to listen to to you know people who are smarter than me, and uh, you know it, it's about balance and, and getting those quality arms. Uh, you know, I, I think yes, you can you can stream some starting pitchers, you know, towards the end from free agency or whatever. But I like to build that depth early. Um, I want some a few guys like probably at least three that I feel comfortable about starting week in and week out, week out pretty much regardless of the matchup. Maybe an, an at Braves or at Dodgers is like the only exception, but I want to feel comfortable with with three guys that I know I can use and should be around for me for the whole season, ideally. Um, so that's the kind of that's the kind of way I approach it. Maybe a, a little bit more heavier than Andrew does, uh, but. I just like to, I like to give myself options. Okay. We'll start with you on this one. And I think I know the answer based on what you just said there. Um, people have this mindset and overall that you have to take a bunch of chances. It feels like you got to treat like a GPP in a, in a DFS tournament where not always the case. Some chances are good. Some aren't just depends obviously, but you've used the word balance. So I think I know your answer here. Do you prefer a balanced approach or a YOLO approach to go for that overall <laughs> crown? Mr. Drew. Oh, balance, 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 balance. Um, last year, my my four picks were Otani, uh, which obviously had some risk. He got injured both as a hitter and a pitcher. Uh, obviously, you know, still a solid floor as a player. Then Mookie Betts, who's like you know, just you know people were writing off last year as a kind of a boring veteran, and then McClanahan, who's you know a bit risky, but. He was less risky than the pitchers going around him. It was Sandy Alcantara, Max Scherzer, Verlander. Um, I remember picking him ahead of all of those guys, uh, and obviously he worked out much better than all of them uh, for the time he was healthy. And then Matt Olson. So you know those guys. None of those guys are like super sexy. I guess maybe McClanahan was, um, but you know they're just solid guys who play every day. Uh, and you know I I think there's opportunities to take chances later in the draft, but you want to uh you know build that core and you know like you said get the value get the guys you're playing every day who have that big upside but safe floor what about you guilds you more of a yolo balance what's your approach here yeah i mean uh similar to drew i I do like to balance my squad out but i I do also like to take risks you know where they where i think there's high reward um in these drafts uh one guy you know has kind of been a topic on twitter too is wyatt langford Yes. And I have a lot of him and, you know, I was getting him in the 150, 160 range. He's now creeping up a little bit to in the one forties uh, last I saw, but I mean, that's a guy that to me, the price and the, the, the risk and the reward is just so high there, uh, at least on the reward side. I mean, if, if he it takes a month to get called up, that's fine. I'm happy, you know, stashing him for a month, but that's a guy that could come up there. And it's funny, I posted this on Twitter too, the, the two, three, and four picks, right? We got Witt, we got Julio, and we got Carroll. You know, that could be Langford, you know, in 2025. 100%. You know what I mean? So to me, that's where you want to take your risks, you know, where the price isn't that high and it's all upside right there. I mean, picking a 150, you know, 140 is not going to kill you, you know? Um, so yeah, I, I kind of try to target those difference makers at good prices. And those are the guys I, I really go after. How many stashes are you good with at, at the end of draft day? Drew, I'll start with you. Drew. Yeah, 
Um, the first, just I'll add one thing to what Andrew said. Uh, you know, even in the online championship, I don't think there's one player that you, you have to have or you have to hit on to win. Uh, you know, I didn't have Acuna last year. That didn't stop me. And, uh, you know, the uh, guys who won the main event, Dylan and, and Brian Slack, they they didn't have Acuna. A guy who won the draft champions didn't have Acuna either. So, and even amongst the breakout picks, like I, I didn't have Eflin on that on my team. I, I didn't have uh, Corbin Carroll. So you don't have to hit on all that. How did you do it, Drew? How did you do it? He, he built the puzzle. He built the puzzle. I built the puzzle. Yeah, I built the, puzzle. <laughs> the puzzle just came together. I like Pablo Lopez was probably. Yeah. I mean, Matt, I I had I my three of my first round four picks. I think finished. I was looking at the Rise Ball Player Rater finished in the top six. Like That'll not even help. just the first That'll round. Help. Like Otani, Betts, <laughs> and Olsen were like, yeah, like, like whatever the top six, top eight. Oh, so it was just like that was a massive advantage. And then I. You know, hit pitching. I hit Estevez late. Talking about closer, like just it kind of all came together. I Matt McLean on waiver wire. It just all came together. But the point being is, you know, you're not going to get everybody. If you know half your team finishes in the top 100, there's still 15 out of your 30 guys are in the top 100. There's still 85 players you're going to be top 100 players overall that aren't going to be on your roster. So there's a lot of different ways to to build a championship caliber team. You don't feel like you have to hit on all these hotshot rookies in order to, to succeed. Um, so your question about stashes, uh, seven bench spots in the NFBC. There's no IL spots. They're very valuable, especially in the OC. You're moving guys in and out of your team. You're streaming guys, but maybe you just want to bench them versus cut them. So, you know, obviously guys get hurt no matter how injury prone or risk averse you try to be, injuries will find you, right? Pete Alonso last year is a perfect example. Beacon of health, he takes a random pitch off the fist or you know, whatever his wrist and he's out for four weeks. Like that can happen to anybody that can't predict that. So with that, I, I would limit myself to like one, one stash, two stash at most. Um, and you, you got to be... Uh, you know, I, I stashed Grayson Rodriguez last year for like a month in the middle of the season uh, when he got sent down, but then he was pitching well, so I stashed him. So um, you really got to give flexibility for when guys get hurt or guys you don't want to cut, but you need to bench for whatever reason. You need flexibility to keep those guys on your roster. So you really can't be affording to stash guys. Too many what guys. You, what about you, Guilds? Yeah, I mean, I agree. I generally don't like to have more than one. Um, of those stashes, max two, if I know, you know, there's a good chance it's just a short period of time. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm not I, – I, I, on one hand, I do think it's a little uh, overstated that you can't stash more than one guy in these. I mean, I've done that. There, some of my benches have just been disasters where they're all hurt. You know, you can't drop these guys. So uh, if you have a fully healthy team and you're, you're perfectly willing and able to, to stash two guys for sure, it's just when, you know, guys start getting hurt, that's when it gets very dicey. So I've seen it work, you know, both ways, you know, where you're, you're, you could stash those those two, three guys even uh, if you have uh, good health on your team. But, yeah, uh, generally I like maybe one, two max. You know, if I walk out of a draft, uh, I'm, I'm generally not, you know, taking more than one or two uh, stashes. All right. I'll have one last question for you at the end, but let's do a few listener questions here because it'll cover some of the other things like fab and whatnot that everyone's always 
curious about here. So we'll start with Ryan Bloomfield, this guy. You know, I don't know why he's asking questions, but he is. Yeah, some dude. Um, he, he plays says, fantasy baseball. Is he first I, time? First time? I, first time caller? First time caller, long time listener. I'm pretty sure. Um, plays a little fantasy baseball out there. Uh, he, he usually loses to me, but um, I've done 15s only for the last few years. But jumping back into 12s in March, and I'm kind of I'm so happy I got him back in the 12s world. What's the biggest shift in draft strategy from 15s to 12s? We'll start with you, Guilds. Sorry, I'm on mute. Sorry, there's there's a huge difference between these two formats. Like 12s, you know, you could be a lot more aggressive in the draft. You could take a lot more chances. The replacement value is way, you know, better than it is in the 15 teamers. You just you have that that leeway, that flexibility that you don't have in the 15s. In the 15s, you got to get those at bats. You got to get that playing time, right? You got to be a little more, you know, boring in, in, with some of your picks. You can't be reckless and super, you know, aggressive early and in draft. I mean, you can. It just doesn't often work out. Um, so I think it's just you have to have two different mindsets. Where you know the 15, you have to be a little more measured and um, conscious of where you know what guys you're taking, the health and um, all that kind of stuff. Where in the 12s, you definitely have there's there's a little a little bit more uh, runway to to take some uh, gambles uh, where you wouldn't in the 15 teamers. What about you? What's your thoughts on that one, Drew? Yeah, I, I, I think a lot of what Andrew said is 100% correct. I think one of the biggest differences is probably catcher, especially even this year. Like the drop-off between the 24th catcher and the, the 30th catcher I think is 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 really large. Uh, so it's an opportunity to to push up some of those earlier catchers because it's okay. – you know I illustrated you know streaming catchers in 12s, but I would imagine 15s it's just – it's a bit Very harder. Difficult. Um, so I would say that's one area. Um, and then, you know, what you're going to get out of your your later round picks, uh, you know, you have more replace those guys who fell in the 12s and 15s. Uh, like you said, the group is so much higher. So you're, you're more shooting for upside. And then you just have to be ready to move on from those guys quickly. Uh, I, I feel like when I hear, I hear people – talk about their frustrations with 12s. It's like, oh, I, I didn't realize it was playing this guy, you know, maybe Gene Sigler last year. I, he was in my roster all, you know, see ya. Like, you, you got to be vigilant on that on the 12s yeah. because there are better options and, like, to not, not get stuck with a guy who sucks. <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's, a, that's a great point also. And it's like if you're in 15, in, like, in the main event, you know, fielding five outfielders that play every day can be, challenge, can be a challenge in a draft. I mean – you know, the, the, the amount of players, you know, drafted over in the 12 teamers, it's, it's pretty stark. So um, you could find yourself in trouble if you, uh, you know, if you sleep too long on outfielders and, you know, you're playing platoon guys as starters, that's never a good feeling. Uh, whereas the 12s, you know, you're never playing a platoon guy. So um, yeah, there's, you know, you just got, like I said, you, you got to be a little, a little more measured and a little, uh, you know, uh, less aggressive than you would be in the OCs. Yeah, and, I, and again, this people that make fun of me if it's I like the catcher comment there by by uh, Drew because just in the two auctions I've done over the last week, the fifteen team auctions, if you don't pay up and get one of those, all of a sudden you're stuck with Jake Rogers, Patrick Bailey, like all these guys for they're at bucks, so it's nice in that regard. But you're sitting there going, 
when you look at your board at the end going, oof, like that, that's uh, not the world we want to live in, which in a 12, you'd probably never get stuck in that situation. So, yeah. And picking out of like the 15 hole and like in a main event, you know, it's a really difficult draft. You know what I mean? 12s, you pick out a 12, you could, you know, find your way pretty easily still like, People say they don't want 50. I mean, you, you do not want the 15th pick in, in the main event. I don't want, like, I've even said in uh, the DC 15 for sure, but like, I love one obviously because you get a Cunha, but after like, say, round four or five, even that end sucks. Like, you don't like the, you, you get that great start, don't get me wrong, but just those ends and those 15s can just be. Yeah. Brutal. And you, you miss the runs. And like you said, catcher, like next, you know, you can't sleep on catcher. Next thing you know, you're starting the 27th catcher off the board and, and a backup or something. So, uh, it's dangerous, right? You've so, got to be willing to jump, guys. I think, if yeah, you're oh, absolutely. Yeah. More so 15 and one because you start off with a Cunha, but even one at some point, you know, yeah, just it it, so many picks in between. Yeah, that yep. you just have to be it. It's a tough mindset. It's one I struggle with too. I don't know how you deal with drafting from the, from the turns, but it's just such a different mindset than the middle. You have to just be convictions and just, you know, throw ADP out the window. Yeah, because guys just never going to get back to you. Yeah, like sixty picks or no thirty picks, right? Thirty, 30, picks, 30 yeah. picks, yeah. It's, it's a just, long, it's a long thirty. It feels picks like too. sixty picks at times. So yep. yeah, it crushes you. And people say you could win from anywhere. I, I'd be surprised. I, I'd like to see that data from the fifteen hole in the main events. I can't imagine it's a lot of free agent work probably on that. Yeah, team. yeah. Um, JP Variant asks, "Do you have a target in mind for hitter pitcher splits in the first ten rounds of your draft? First twenty rounds, like." I know we kind of talked about, you know, getting a star pitcher closer rounds four through six, so on and so forth. But we'll start with you, Guilds. Like in the first 10 rounds or first 20 rounds, do you kind of have a, a split on what you're looking for? Or is it, again, your kind of your philosophy of just kind of take what the draft gives you? Yeah, and I was cliche. That is what I do. Um, I don't ever go in. Like I see some of these people draft like with these crazy builds where they're going like 10 hitters, at, you know, at the gate and 10 straight pitchers. I mean – that's not going to win in the overalls. I mean, I know it's, it's, it's fun to do, I guess. And it's, but you know, you got to build an 11,000 uh, point staff, right. And you're not doing that passing on pitchers for your first 10 picks. So um, I do, I just like to keep it balanced. You know um, I'm not a guy that's going to sleep too much on pitching. So I do like taking pitching early. Um, but again, I'm not going to reach for it if I don't see it, you know, if I don't find the value there and, uh, you know, if it's, if it's not a guy I think is worthy of that pick, I'm, I'm not just going to take him for the sake of needing a pitcher. Right. So um, I'll gladly just add to my offense and figure it out later. So that's pretty much how I approach the drafts. What about you, Drew? Yeah. Like I mentioned, want to feel comfortable with like at least three, three guys. I feel, are, you know, they're in my roster, my lineup every week. I don't really have to worry about them. Uh, you know, so, Ideally, look at the board of, of getting those guys before round 10. Um, and then after that, you're just kind of picking your spots, um, building that depth, you know, figuring out the guys you like. Um, and obviously, the, the board kind of opens up more then as people start going different avenues. Um, so that's how I approach it. It's part of the balance. Balance includes starting pitching. So, you know, you got to have to make sure you have a good core uh, amongst those early round guys. And there, there, there's a lot of pitchers late I like this year, too. I feel like it's more than year, in years past. So, yeah, um, I do like that that ace early, but I feel comfortable drafting a lot of late pitching this year. So You definitely take your shots late if you feel comfortable in the, in the yeah. pool. There's no doubt about that this year. 
Uh, Taylor Johnson asks, first time getting into the NFC contest, and I'm doing one OC and one draft champions. How does your strategy differ between the two where in one league there are no roster moves and the other has fab throughout the year? So not so much the 12 versus 15 part of it, but the, you know, no roster moves. So you can just the depth part there versus fab. I'll start with you, Drew, on this one. Yeah. How, how do you kind of differentiate that? So obviously the, the, the draft champions is 50 rounds uh, versus 30 rounds for the fab. And I, I think the, the fab aspect makes a big difference. And I, I would say the big difference probably is in those rounds 16. Uh, I'm trying to do pick comparisons, but like, so what is that? Like, like between one pick 160, 180 to 360. So whatever, call it even 200 to 360 uh, picks. I think those are going to be the big differences between the two because in a draft champions, you have to hold on to those guys uh you know throughout the whole year so you're probably being a little bit less less risk averse um banking more on secure playing time um not passing up the upside but you don't want to take as many shots in an online championship you know between rounds whatever 16 you know 16 and, and 30 you know those last whatever 15 guys you know five of them may you know, you're lucky if five of the guys are on the team by the end of the year, just because you're churning the spots, injuries, whatever. So you can take more. You can replace them pretty easily. Versus a draft champion, if those guys or they they really suck, you know, you're relying on a much later draft pick to replace them. So I think that's probably your biggest difference is like in that that zone of going for a little bit more security. Uh, in the draft champions versus the upside in a fab league. What about you, Guilds? Yeah, it's a good question. I think, uh, and I've learned this over the years, which I, I didn't know early on, is like draft champions, you're just trying to get the at-bats, get the playing time, right? It's like a war of attrition. You just want healthy guys that play a lot, right? So my DC drafts are usually a lot more boring. Not usually, they are. Um, I just want that volume. Um, I want guys that I know play a lot, play a lot of games that are pretty durable. Because, um, you know, a lot of teams in these DCs, you look at your bench, you know, in July, August. I mean, you've got the, you got the Red Cross going down your entire bench of guys. Um, so to me, it's the DC is more just, you know, obviously it takes a good draft, but it's really health. That's where you, where you, can stand, you know, stand your ground and even gain ground is most teams don't have that, those healthy guys playing a lot during the summer. So, you know, you build those, th those teams that are deep and have the, uh, the multi-position guys on those teams as well, you know, you're going to compete. Whereas the OC is, you know, like you're definitely like Drew said, you know, those guys at the end of your drafts might not be on your team in you know, mid April, um, just churning and burning a lot more and, you know, you're able to improve your team a lot easier, obviously, than no fab. So, yeah, and those DCs, you're looking just to add like backups that'll play when your other guy gets hurt scenario, not so much taking the shot on some guy that's gonna you want to be a starter. You're just literally like, hey, Eugenio Suarez looks pretty cool right about now because he might play a lot of third exactly like, yeah. little, little things yeah. like that. Where in a DC, you're like, do I really need to draft Eugenio Suarez? Probably not. <laughs> yeah. You want just the boring guys that you know are going to get that volume, and that, that's a huge, huge part of winning in, in the draft champions. Hundred percent with you there, uh, Jenny Butler, who usually does a lot of fifteens, has to do at least one OC this year because she's in the Champions League. So this is a good question from her. 
Um, she's she, first. She says she wants to kind of absorb the tips, like Bloomfield said. Then she said, "I'd love to hear about how to estimate fab bidding amounts." I know it's supposedly the Wild West, and I'm hoping to have some ideas of how to bid within that. Rudy Gamble also pipes in and says, uh, "I go back in two years ago. It's more work because more viable options." Rotoguts weekly article always great to test fab assumptions. I always laugh because I do my weekly recap of fab and then 12s it's anywhere from a dollar to a million dollars it seems like every week on the same player depending on your league so that's why it is the wild west to me but guilds we'll start with you um how do you kind of determine the fab situation especially doing so many leagues yeah i mean uh you know i've said this before but like i'm very very aggressive early um you know i want to get that that player that asset for for the remainder of the season you know get as much um you know, production on your roster that you possibly can. So I think those early guys are worth, you know, the bigger bids than the guys that you're bidding on in mid July. So uh, I'm going huge early and I know it's, it's kind of, you know, against the grain where a lot of people like to conserve their money. But if I see a guy that I think can be a difference maker early, you know, I'm, I'm bidding healthy on him. So uh, it's funny. I know people always post those like screenshots of the, the efficient bids you know, I'm posting the ones where I'm bidding $300 more than the next guy. It's like a sick and twisted feeling I get, but I, I kind of enjoy it for some reason. Uh, I'm nice. just, a, I'm just a belief. I want the guy. So, you know, I'll bid 200 extra just to get him and not, you know, care too much rather than an efficient bid that misses out by $5, you know? So for sure. For sure. What about you, Drew? How does your approach? Yeah. Go? Uh, different, I, you different and I, too. Different. It's probably, I mean, I know Bubba, you and I talked about this uh, yeah. the first time I was on, and it's probably one of the bigger differences between how Andrew and I approach the game. And, and it just kind of shows you that, especially in this contest, that there's so many different avenues to success. You can bidding, big, bidding big, uh, you know, early, you can be more reserved like I am. Um, my process is a little bit nuanced. I would say the big difference just from what I've witnessed from people talking about 15 team fab in the main event versus the OC is the players you're bidding on, like the actual players are, are wildly different from league to league in the OC versus in the main event. Like maybe if there's some outliers, but generally everybody's kind of bidding on the same breakout players or, or two-star pitchers or um, so it's kind of more of a known field and the bidding is a little bit more in line the online championship because bubba your league you could be bidding on 10 players i could be bidding on my oc and 10 totally different players just on who's available yep. just the nuances of our league so it, it requires and i think ruby said this like a little bit more work i i think actually in the oc because you have to evaluate just different different players that Maybe they aren't on, you know, Vlad's list. It just happens to be guys who are, you know, available in your league that aren't available in in other leagues. They're only available in one or two leagues. Um, you know, I really like to study the tendencies of my league and you know how the other players are are valuing certain player archetypes. Um, and then also in the OCs, and this is a different than main event. You get these rogue drops. So. You know, you may have to decide. Like last year, Tommy Edmond got dropped in one of the OCs. So I spent a couple of days figuring out how much to bid on Tommy Edmond in, in May. Like I famously had Chris Sale dropped in April, and I figure out how much to bid on him. So you have those situations where there will be these one-off players 
And that will take time of figuring out, is this guy a difference maker? Do I need to bid big on him? Because you don't have really anything to go off of. You know, if Pleasant Woods available in one out of 200 plus leagues, they're not going to be covered in a fab article. So it, it, sometimes you get lucky, unlucky there, but you have to spend the time to figure out, you know, those one-off situations. So that's a little bit about how I approach it. I'm, uh, I'm a bit more conservative than Andrew is with Fab. I, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a conservative. I'm a conservative Fab. It doesn't mean I won't go reach for the guy that, uh, that I want, but uh, you know, I, I, I like the Fab to last me the full 20, 27 weeks. Yeah, I'm not you guys. You said it before, but the OCs are insane in fab, right? Like there's so many guys that you think should go for like 150, 200, and then you see the runner-ups $1. So it's like the main, there's, you know, you kind of get a much better feel of what a guy is structured almost. Yeah. And you know, if a player is a $25 ad or he's a $60 ad, the OC, there's no such thing, you know, he could go 140 or he could go $7. It's just, you don't know. That's why I'm always like, screw it. If I'm going to overbid. I might as well just overbid. Well, and 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 one thing that I've learned is because I'm I'm kind of in between you two. Like I said, I, I am probably a little more reserved, but I've kind of started like I got a lot of Tanner Bybee's last year and stuff like that. But I didn't get any of the McLeans or Ellie. So like I'm I'm doing things I used to not do, but still not going the full distance just yet. Yeah. But the thing with the a, a twelve where I've started to find the at least I'm okay with giving it a shot. Is as the season goes on, so many guys stop playing. There's so many one dollar bids. Like there's so much more of that than there are in other leagues. Now, now to Drew's point, and we talked about it when he joined me earlier, and I've heard other very smart people talk about like Toby and others, is okay, that's true. But do you want the ability to buy buy or acquire that player for say three dollars and guarantee you get them? Or do you want to try to fight for the one dollar versus one dollar bids as the season goes on? There's that argument too, but I think if you're worried about it that much, you might not be. I don't know. It's tough. It's a, it's a, such a that's the beauty of the game we play between the drafting, yeah. the fabbing, the NC. Like it's just such yeah. a long six months. Just like, what are we doing? And that's the downside too of my style is I was out on all the Ellie fab bidding, you know, by B, you know, uh, I was out on all these guys. So you know, that's the risk that I take is, uh, you know, I hope to hit on those early guys, but if I don't, I'm not getting the later guys either. So um, that's just yeah. the way I go about it. And I don't know. Plus, you, can enjoy, you can enjoy the summers a lot easier. You know? <laughs> um, yep. that's, that actually does raise a, a good point and helps answer Jenny's question. Two two things. You know, it's good conversation about fab. Rob is good to do you know, pod, podcasts about it. Um, two things. One, OC fab. There's uh and quality players so there's never like there's always going to be opportunities to improve your lineup so it, it does take that time to like to go through and figure out who those roster upgrades are because there are every week players to bid on <laughs> it's like oh who am i gonna like you don't even need like it doesn't even matter if there's call-ups that week or it, like there's always there's going to be a productive player available that you have to do a deep dive in and figure out you know if they're worth worth bidding on um, and then the comment about Ellie. So one of my OCs actually we won them last year. Part Chase on three hundred and thirty-four to three hundred and thirty-three, uh, mm-hmm. and that was great. And you know, but it did hurt us down the stretch. Like we were, uh, we actually blew a big 
big lead, uh, like the final weeks of kill me. I'll never stop thinking about it, but we just, we kind of ran out of fab and we were stuck with $1 guys and we just kept losing out on our top guys and, uh, weren't able to turn it around. So it was great having Ellie, but part of me, and I think Toby said this too, cause I think Toby won him in, uh, Yes, in his did. OC last year. And I think he had similar thoughts. It's like as great as Ellie was for those couple months. It's like, eh, maybe I wish I could have had some of that fat money back for the end when I, I kind of needed the needed yeah. the uh the money for some other guys. It's always nice hearing people say, I wish I had money when they won an overall championship and finished top five. Yeah. <laughs> I wish I had the money. It's like such a tough decision to be made right there. And by the way, I, I don't have like $4 in like August. I don't want to make it sound like I'm that insane. Yeah. Like I do like to save at least, you know, a hundred or so for the last two months of the season. Yeah. But I, prior to that, I'm like balls to the wall. Just, yeah. I want this guy. I want that guy. And just, you know, pray. Yeah. <laughs> I would, I would say I end up in the similar in the similar stance. Like I, I you you want some money, especially. And probably I talked about this last time too. If you're in first place, you know, hopefully you're in you know you're at the top of your standings. Uh, you lose out on those one dollar, you know, two dollar bids really. So it's helpful, you know, to have a little bit of extra money just so you can go an extra dollar more because you're going to lose tiebreaker bids. So if you're stuck one dollar, you know, max on guys you know, you're, you're losing out if anybody else is interested in the player. I th yeah. And I think another point too, uh, to stress on, on fab, and I've seen people say this before, you know, you know, around this topic is if you're like sitting in first place, you know, your team's doing great. Um, and you see a guy come out on fab, you feel like, all right, I'm in a good spot. You know, I don't need to bid all that much on this player. You know, my team's in first, you know, things are looking good. I'll save my money to me. Those are the teams where I'm bidding even more on because I want to make those top teams I have that much better, right? So and to keep it away from your up your opponents. <laughs> yeah, it's a fallacy. It's like, all right, I'm doing well. You might not be doing well in a week, two weeks, mm -hmm. you know. So you, I'm always trying to make my strong teams even stronger. Yep. Um, so yeah, if I see a difference maker, even if I'm sitting first place in the league. I'm bidding just as much on that guy as if I was in, in 12th place. So um, I think, you know, if, if you don't ever stop improving your team just because you think you're you're sitting in a good spot in the second week in June, right? Yeah. So, I mean, things change fast in fantasy. So um, if you have the funds and you're, and you're in, you know, you're, you're, you're doing well, I would still go for that player the same way I would if I was sitting in the bottom of the league. Totally. Yeah, and they and these guys will talk about another rule too, the whole turn and burning thing, especially in twelves. It's so much easier, like Drew was saying, with the options on the waiver wires. So, like I know Guilds has mentioned before, he'll some of his last picks in a draft, four or five picks, give or take. It's like I'm taking chances on guys because in reality, and Drew said it earlier, in your last fifteen picks, you're lucky if five guys are still on your roster that you yeah. drafted back then. So you're just moving these things through. And um, one one uh, I guess thing I tell Jenny and company is. When you put your bids in, you might want a longer waterfall per se than you did in the main event because there are so many options. You might put like four guys there and think, okay, cool, I got it all covered. At worst, I'll get this guy for two bucks. Oh no, you have eleven other players that you're going against, probably bidding for most of these players, and you'll you'll end up realizing you got nobody for the week or something oh, because yeah. you weren't like that's one of these. That's for me what I've noticed. You have to really go deep into the uh, backup bids. 
Yeah, and also kind of similar you know, along that point is you want to churn and burn in the twelves and in, in the OCs. I think last year I might I might have made the most transactions I've ever made in my life in that in last season. Um, yeah. Just don't hang on to guys too long, right? And just hope you know keep them in our lineup that they're going to start producing. So you got to keep keep trying to add guys and churn and burn and you know, don't sit there and wait for things to happen. Just go out there and get yeah. the guys that, you know, are on heaters and you want to maximize those at bats and those, those power surges of these hot guys. So uh, yeah, churn and burn in the 12s where it's 15s, you gotta, you know, you can't do that. You know, you gotta kind of sit there and just hope your players start producing. <laughs> essentially. Yeah. Yeah, you're going to add guys who you're going to take chances on guys as well as you're going to stream guys, whatever. They're not going to work out. And the good news is you get to do it all again the next week. Right, exactly. (laughs) All right, I got two final questions. One's really easy, and then I'll get you with the kind of deeper thought process. We'll start with you, Guilds. How many more drafts are you looking at? What's your game plan for the rest of the way? Uh, well, yeah, that's a good question because I've drafted more probably than I, than I wanted to by this point. Usually in the OC, I'm around six or seven, and I'm already at seven. <laughs> so you do the math. I mean, we have another minute to go. Um, but fab-wise, you know, I don't like to get more than like 10, 11 tops. And even that, even that's a lot of, of stress. Lot of so, yeah, I mean, uh, I'll probably be around – I don't even want to say because I'll just probably embarrass myself. I don't know. Go ahead. Okay. It's a safe space. You can say it's okay. It. I'm already way past anything I thought nah, about. I, I haven't even hit the heavy season yet. <laughs> there, there is no way I'm doing more than nine OCs. So that's another two, and then I'll probably do two or three mains, and that's okay. my fab leagues there. So five yeah. Drafts. Yeah. Um, I'm planning to do five OCs, some solo, <laughs> um, some with a partner. Uh, culminating and do an OC in Vegas, one of the 750 ones. I'm very excited about that. Uh, and then I got two home league, uh, two home league drafts after Vegas, kind of leading up to the season uh, that I've been playing in for a long time, and I'm excited for for both of those. I, I, I love those every year. Um, so that leaves me with what is that? Five, two, so seven to go. Um, nice. And two GFBI currently, so that one's ongoing. Hey Drew, I wanted, to, I wanted to ask you this on the last one. How did, yeah. how did the whole partnership work when you guys yeah. were discussing like Fab? Like, what, what does that look like? Because yeah, I never, I feel like I'm too like strong. You're with me, Guilds. I just wouldn't be able to like. Yeah, you know. I mean, I'll take a partner, but yeah. I got to make all the decisions. So I don't exactly. know. How yeah, yeah. Split the split the entry fee, but then I got yeah. it Let me run the yeah. team. Yeah. So last year was our first year partnering together. It did pretty well. We were. In, Three leagues, yeah, one OC. We finished in second. We were in first place like all year, and then our team just we just fell apart. Too many guys just went cold, and we couldn't couldn't make up the ground. We got caught like in the last two weeks or something. It sucked, um, but it, so it went well. And I think when it comes to Fab, I think what's helpful about having a partner is two things. One, if I'm busy with everyday life or he's busy with everyday life, you know, something's pressing that it's like, we know the other one can, can help out in those couple of leagues that we share together. So it kind of takes the stress off that way where, you know, you know Andrew's blown his fab in April so he can enjoy the summer. And I can, I can ask Jason as like, Hey, you know, I've got a vacation. I got this going on. Like, do you think you take the brunt of fab? So it's kind of helpful in that way. Um, the other way is just, it's, I think it's good to get, you know, back and forth opinions on things. So it's like, Hey, maybe did you miss, you know, he picked up a news item on a player that I missed. Maybe I saw something that he missed. 
Um, so it's kind of good to, you know, that back and forth. And we also help each other with our individual leagues. Maybe I've got a question about, it's like, hey, like, is this guy available in your league? Like, what do you, what what do you what are you bidding on this guy in your own league? Like, here's what I'm thinking. Like, what did he go for last week? So it gives you like a, another data point um, to go off of, and you know, just collect collect different opinions. Uh, you know, maybe you're really high on a player, and you're you're thinking about going crazy bid, and he kind of calms you down and. He said, hey, Drew, you know, did you consider this or like, did, you know, look at that? Maybe I was like, oh, yeah, maybe I, I, I should be lower on this player. Or maybe, you know, there's a player I'm, I'm really down on. And, uh, you know, it says like, hey, I think we should up our bid here. Uh, this is a guy we, we really could use. So it's like a good balancing act. Um, you know, we didn't really have any big, as far as I remember, <laughs> like really big disagreements where we were really couldn't decide. Um you know, it, it, it worked pretty well. I, I, like I said, I think the biggest advantage point is just having a different, another voice um, just to bounce things off of and, and to, uh, you know, help you make decisions. Yeah, yeah it, it helps, like when, it helps when your team's a, doing so well. That's hard yeah. to have arguments. <laughs> I feel like if I had a partner, it would it would end prior to like May 1st. <laughs> and then it would turn ugly. But no, I, I mean, I, it's interesting because I, I – I see partnerships that work pretty well and it sounds like you and your, your partner do well. So definitely takes like a, you know, different personalities that can do that, you know, work together that well. Sure. Yeah. I think anybody yeah. who's, who's, uh, who's wanting to try it out, you know, I, I think it's worth trying out, maybe play a couple of lower stakes leagues first yeah. where, <laughs> you know, if it doesn't go so well that neither one feels, um, you know, you know, feels like they've been slighted or feels like they got a raw deal out of it that you could kind of walk away. And, um, but I, and I think it's important, you know, we vetted each other. We talked about before we decided to partner, we're like, you know, what resources do you use? How much time do you put into it? Um, to make sure we were kind of compatible in that standpoint, you know, I didn't want to work with somebody who, you know, does it, you know, is barely checking it is like checking in at Sunday at eight o'clock. It's like, all right, put in a couple of fat bits, I'm done or, you know, well, Drew and I are never going to be partners. I'm cool. <laughs> I don't want to say. Oh, I'm, kidding, I'm kidding. You're, you're kidding. putting in a lot of work throughout the week. You write a fab article for God's sake. <laughs> you know. So, um, but you know, I, I think you want to do some vetting and make sure you know your attitudes align, your interests align. You know how you know. You know, I, I wouldn't want to work with somebody who the minute football comes on is you know you know, off to football drafts and kind of ignore, you know, kind of quits on the season. So, you know, you try to find a good, um, you know, a, a good character fit that way, a good style, you know, maybe similar style of play, you know, thoughts about things and you give it a shot. It's worked out for us. So I, I'm excited for year two and hopefully we can have even more success than we had last year. For sure. Well said, Drew. Well said. Yeah, patient, patient guy you are. I appreciate that. Um, I feel like you're like an easy partner to work with too. That's what I was about to say. You can just tell like by his tone and just kind of like, yeah, this is good. like laid back. Yeah, I, 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 yeah. I mean, I, I think Jason knows there's some guilt. things. There's some, there's some things that I'm like I'm strong about. You know that I you know I definitely have strong opinions, but you know things are compromised. I I know I don't know it all. Um, I think you know that's part of the reason I've had the success I had is that you know I. I there's people out there who are smarter than me and 
uh, you know, listening to them has made me a better player. I'm not never afraid to admit it. So, you know, I, I, I learned a lot from you, Andrew. I, I, you know, I, I owe it to you a lot of success and you Bubba too. You've done so many pods. You've had on so many great guests and I, I've learned a lot from both of you guys and, you know, Bubba just, you know, the, you know, everything just covered positional previews and, and team previews. And, you know, you're always on top of the news and Andrew obviously has had so much success. One of the online championship players out there. So, you know, I've learned a lot from him and I, I love learning too. It's one of the reasons I also like doing the pods with him is like, you know, I get to pick his brain and why do you, you think know, I do these what, shows? what he's going through. <laughs> so I like, I like learning too. So, um, you know, it's, it's what's no, really man. Fun. No, it's, it's good, man. And, uh, you're a good guy. So I'm happy that you took it down and yeah, looking to battle you this year. It'll be fun. Yeah, All of right. course. I'm, I'm, I'm pumped. Uh, you know, it would be great if one of us three, you know, ended up in it up ended up in the top spot. No, but um, yeah, you got to win it this year, Bubba. Then we'll we'll uh, do a pod next year. The same. Yeah, you'll let us interview you. <laughs> oh, that would be freaking ridiculous. I'd do it. I'll do it, but uh, I'm not going to hold you to it. Yeah. Um, final question I have. Uh, we'll go guilds, and then we'll go Drew on this one. Um, it's just kind of a broad thing. We talked about a lot of strategy. I've had both of you guys on before talking strategy on these topics and everything, but. Kind of just, you know, Gilds has been drafting in 2024. Drew's been prepping for 2024. What kind of maybe things we did not talk about, like strategy-wise, recommendations, what what piece of advice do you want to leave the listeners with that we might not have uh, kind of highlighted just yet to uh, get them ready for the final month or so of draft season? That's a tough question. I it's a loaded question. I know. It's probably pretty mean of me to throw that out there. but <laughs> no, uh, it's, I know- it's a thinker. Uh, yeah, so I just I've I, the kind of what Drew was saying. I've learned a lot just by I, I always reference Gills when I very first OC I was in. I tip my I didn't dip my toe in the water. I jumped in with the guy that won the whole freaking thing. So um, like that that's a learning curve. Like, but I learned a lot in that regard. So like, like we, we and, and Drew mentioned you know he, he watches and listens to a bunch of things and reads them. I'm always trying to take stuff things. If you think you know it all now, you're stupid. So like, okay. there's always something to learn. So. What is it maybe you've picked up just in 2024 that you mm-hmm. could kind of a, a word of advice to people? Yeah, uh, I, I, I can take it first, Andrew. I can give you a chance to, to, to think <laughs> about it. Um, I would say a couple things first, like what I talked about. Like, don't be afraid to ask questions, listen, learn, uh, you know, pick up things, consider different viewpoints. Uh, you know, like I said, there's players maybe that you weren't in on that you know you listen to other people and they change your point of view a little bit so don't be afraid about that and i think the other thing especially in these online championships is like it's okay to make mistakes like you're going to make a lot of mistakes and that's okay i i made a ton last year team won the overall championship so it's like (laughs) you know you can make you can make so many mistakes and survive so don't be afraid of the mistakes but try to uh, identify them as quickly as possible and learn from them and rectify them um, and I think if you go in with that approach, knowing that you're going to miss on draft picks, you're going to miss on fab, but if you have a solid process and you believe in your process, uh, the probabilities will work itself out that if you stay to that, you'll end up making, you know, better decision, more better decisions than you do bad decisions. Um, so don't be afraid of the mistakes, embrace them. They'll happen. And, you know, it's just part of the game. Uh, sure. what, I would say. what about you guilds? What do you got? Yeah, just draft Pete Alonzo. <laughs> no, no. Just draft um, good players. It's simple, guys. Simple game. 
Now, what I would say is probably more draft specific. Um, when you're going into these drafts, you know, you want to get your guys, but I, you know, I always put my first focus is on constructing the best team. Right. And I'm not just taking guys cause I got to fill a position. Right. I see that's like the, the whole, a lot of these owners fall into is like, you know, it's the seventh round. You know, I don't, I don't have a first baseman. I have to take a first baseman. You don't have to, right? Take a guy. If you see, you know, someone that shouldn't be there, whether it's fits your roster build or not, take that player, take that, take that player that shouldn't be there, right? You'll figure it out later. There's 30 rounds in these drafts. You have the options to zig and zag later on. You can make it up. You know, there's plenty of guys at these positions later on in the draft that you could get and might fall to you that you don't think is going to fall to you, you know, at that point in the draft. Um, so really, you know, it sounds corny and simple, but take the best players at your spots in every draft. Don't fall victim to, I have to fill this need, so I got to take this guy right now, right? That's how I build, you know, a lot of these these big teams is that, you know, I'm not I'm not pigeonholed into to drafting you know, a certain position at a certain spot in the draft. If I see a guy that's falling there that shouldn't be there, I'm taking that guy, whether he fits my team or he doesn't. Uh, and I'll figure it out later. So um, just go in there with that kind of mindset and don't be afraid to, to you know, go out on, you know, on a limb a little bit in draft. And uh, you can really, big, you know, build some big teams. Yep. Great advice from both of you all. And I think it's a fun way to wrap up another fun episode. I always enjoy talking to these two guys, smart, smart fantasy players, very good individuals as well. I've always been able to, to, to DM or chat, not an issue at all. So, gentlemen, thanks for joining me once again. I can't wait to do it again sometime. Of course. Anytime. Appreciate it, Bubba. And I always say, Bubba, you're, you're one of the best in the business. You know, I, I always end, end the pods with this, yeah, but I, I do appreciate the work you put in. And, you know, you got you got a way about yourself that you go, you know, you could, like I said, you're like the Oprah of the <laughs> podcasters. Uh, you just have a nice style about you. And I'm always hop, you know, happy to, to jump on your pod and, and uh you know talk uh talk game with you so appreciate it appreciate it all right everybody guilds is on twitter at the underscore guilds drew is on twitter at fru underscore dorte gentlemen always a pleasure everybody this is bench with bubba episode 658 catch y'all next time